Hello everyone. Uh, welcome to Math for Knitters. Um, let me look and see which episode this is. <laughs> Once again, I am a unprepared podcaster, even though I've been thinking about this episode for weeks. Let me see here under audio. Audio Math for Knitters episode. I know it's in the 30s somewhere. 33. Welcome to episode 33. <laughs> I'm your host, uh, Lara. I think I said that already. But this week, I don't have a lot of actual math, um, but I do have some guesstimation and another reason to use and save your gauge swatches. Um, a couple weeks ago, or I think it was, I think I talked about it already, but I made myself some, I don't think, maybe I didn't, maybe I was talking about, I've made two pairs of mittens out of the book Favorite Mittens, and I will have a link to that in the show notes at math for knitters that's the, the number four, dot blogspot.com. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sorry, I have a bit of a sore throat. Um, the air here is very dry, and I, that's what I'm chalking it up to. I don't think I'm actually getting sick. Anyway, okay, side note. <laughs> Anyway, so I've made one pair of felted mittens from that book. I think it's I think they're called Fisherman's Mittens and they came out very well. And then I went looking for yarn to make myself some striped mittens from the same book. And I have been digging through my stash rather extensively this year because I'm a little sick of having all of it, I really want to use it up or give it away or trade it or basically I, I just would like to have less stash around. And um, I'm not calling it a diet because as everyone else says, a yarn diet works about as well as a food diet, which means that you manage to get rid of some and then you reward yourself with a cookie or 10 balls of sock yarn and you're right back where you started or worse. So I'm trying to avoid that. But when possible, when I have an idea for a project, I do go down and I look around through my stash very carefully. And I have my stash organized by weight of yarn. So I have um, thicker than worsted weight, which I don't have a lot of that because I don't tend to store it. I tend to use it right away for felted slippers and things like that. Then I have a worsted weight box, which is my biggest box and actually has a few now mini boxes, <laughs> kind of satellite boxes around it. <laughs> and then I have two uh, sport weight boxes and one box lighter than sport weight, which is which is also quite small. Um, and I have a, it's a mini extra stash in my linen closet mainly of uh, yarns that I bought at the Maryland Sheep and Wool Festival, which for some reason I can't bring myself to stick in boxes <laughs> with other yarns um, because they are too precious to me. And I also, for some reason, in that same shelf, I also have some uh, cotton yarn for making dishcloths and things because I, I got a big bag of it off of the now-gone website um, for de-stashing. And I have another box of just cotton and cotton blends. And I've been just, it isn't that I don't buy yarn. I do still buy yarn. I also uh, buy books um, somewhat uninhibitedly, <laughs> I guess is the word I would use. And I am, of course, still supporting my local yarn shop whenever 
I need yarn. And I've been uh, really happy with that arrangement so far. I did just do my taxes, so I, I will have a little extra scratch. And I do try to treat myself to yarn uh, when, when I have that money. But I don't know, because this year I have a big thing planned. And just like last year, when I spent a lot of money redoing my bathroom, uh, this year's big project is also going to be um, a little expensive. Worth it, just like the bathroom, but a little expensive. And so whenever I get some extra money in my hands, I, I kind of try to think about, okay, <laughs> think about your long-term goal instead of the fact that you would really like um, some more sock yarn, for example. So, but one thing I have tried that doesn't sometimes, well, it doesn't usually work for me is sometimes instead of having a project in mind to use stash, I go to my stash and I look for yarn that I want to use. And this tends not to work for some reason. I guess I don't get excited about the project when I know I'm doing it just to use up yarn. Uh, for instance, about, hmm, when was it? It was probably six, seven months ago. I pulled out some bulky yarn that I did have in my stash and proceeded to try to make it into a, a kind of a cat bed, uh, like a kitty pie. And it just, I just couldn't, I just needed something to knit when I was at this particular, oh, it was a, a lecture. It was in October and it was a lecture of Jane Goodall. And I was really excited about seeing Jane Goodall, but I didn't have any kind of lecture knitting on the needles. And so I thought, well, a kitty bed, that'll be easy. And I've already got this yarn and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, after the talk was over, I just never picked it up again. I literally shoved it in the bottom of my second linen closet. I have two. And which is like my place for hibernating defunct projects or yarn that is waiting for me to, to mess with it. Or sometimes if I get kits, my kits go there. And so it's basically my kind of dead pile of projects. And it just sat there literally from October until last month. And I know for a lot of people, that's not a long time. But for me, every time I go through that closet and find projects that I've just decided I do not want to do, it's dispirited. So it ends up being kind of a, a graveyard. And so it stayed there until earlier, I think it was late December, or early January, when I suddenly got the fever to want to make um, slippers, felted house slippers from Knit Two Together. And I pulled that project out and I pulled the yarn out of it and I made slippers and I was very happy. So <laughs> actually I was at knitting group pulling this project out and I hadn't really explained to anybody what I was doing. And one of the women turns to me and it's like, wow, you're really not in love with that project, are you? And I was like, no, I guess I'm not. Oh, and once again, I'm podcasting right after I've had coffee, which is not the best idea. And I hope I'm not talking too fast. I'm trying not to. Um, one of the comments I get a lot is that people enjoy my voice. And I, in real life, I tend to talk very very, very, very fast. So fast that a lot of people really can't follow me <laughs> unless they know me really, really well. So I, I consciously slow down um, for the microphone and I hope, I hope I'm not speeding up too much. Um, now I'm trying to slow down and I'm feeling dorky, 
but coffee yes anyway <laughs> now i feel like crazy at pearl when she talks about wine um although i imagine wine doesn't make her talk too fast although it might i don't know it might she seems like she would talk very fast anyway even though she is southern and technically i'm southern um some of us still talk fast anyway um gosh lots of digressions today i hope you don't mind uh, this was what comes from me not having a really set problem <laughs> to discuss. So if you happen to have a question or a problem or issue you want me to uh, illuminate or attempt to illuminate, please drop me a comment on the website. I recently put um, a Google analysis on the show's website and I've noticed that not very many people visit it. So that's making me um, feel kind of bad about asking you to go look at the website if you want clarification on things because clearly most of you either don't seek clarification <laughs> or <laughs> just let it go or forget, which is, I do that a lot too when I'm listening to podcasts in the car. I'll hear something like, oh, that sounds like a great podcast. I want to try that new podcast and that I heard about in this other podcast or, oh, I should check out that yarn site and then I never do it because... I either don't make a note and forget, or I make a note and leave it in my car and find it three months later, and I'm like, oh, I don't even remember what this was about. But anyway, so uh, that was a long-winded way of saying that I often hibernate projects and then frog them. Um, I've yet to frog a whole sweater. I don't know if I would get to that point. I would prob probably get about 10 to 20% through it and decide I didn't like it. But anyway, gauge swatches. I've I've often uh, talked about the incredible, incredible, magical value of gauge swatches. For me, as a knitter, a gauge swatch is like. It's it's like the first time I bought a stud finder for my wall for home improvement. And if you've never done this and you're not interested in it, that's fine. But if you've never done this, um, you should because it's fantastic. It it literally makes you feel magical because you can then use it to see where would be the best place to hang this photo. Where should I put my hole to put in my um, towel bar in the bathroom? You know, it's, it's literally um, like being able to see through the wall. And a good gauge swatch gives you the ability to predict the future. How cool is that? You know, how often do you get to do that in your daily life? I don't. I spend most of my time worrying <laughs> about the future and wondering what new thing is going to come bite me. But, um, yeah. So anyway, having a gauge swatch allows you to predict the future because you can figure out exactly what size your thing is going to be. You can gain control of your, of your resizing. If you're resizing, you can gain control of your shaping. You can predict how long your sleeves are going to be. So if you're short like me, you can make them fit you instead of dragging down past your hands. Excuse me, I just burped. Uh, past your hands. And that's always a good thing. Because the whole reason I don't like most commercially made sweaters, and generally, actually, it's very difficult for me to shop for clothes, is because, like most people, I don't fit to the store models. I don't conform to what some, I don't know, some dressmaker somewhere decided was the correct shape for my size. I'm not a wildly variant shape, but I'm not, I'm not the norm. I'm not the average. And when, 
one of the great pleasures of knitting, once you have control of it, is that you can make exactly what you want. You can make it fit you to a T. So, you know, once again, singing the praises of gauge swatches. But there's also some hidden, um, less obvious benefits. Can, you should wash them, for one, to see what happens, because a lot of yarns change when they are washed and dried. And it also tells you how durable the yarn is. If you, would, if you really want to see if your sweater will survive being put through the washing machine, you can put it through the washing machine and the dryer, and you're not risking destroying anything too precious. I often use a gauge swatch to check yarn, like needle size, because, for instance, I, I have this wonderful, wonderful yarn I bought at the Sheep and Wool Festival. That's kind of a gold color. I just love it. And on the website for the yarn distributor or the maker, um, it says, can be knit for anywhere from size zero to size eight needles. Mm, not, not very interesting, but not terribly helpful when I'm trying to decide what gauge to make my sweater. And so I pulled out the yarn and I looked at it and I decided it looked like it might work on a six. And I picked a twisted stitch pattern from Barbara Walker's Second Treasury and I tried it. And I also tried the edge stitch I was thinking of using, which is was a variation of moss stitch, which is K1, P1, and then on the next row, P1, K1. And on this one, I actually held the P's and K's together for, for two rows and then switched. And I loved the way it looked, but the stitch pulled the swatch in. So it showed that that is not the right edge for that particular sweater. And also the number six needles were making it very uh, airtight, <laughs> I think is the word I would use. And I do like a firmer gauge for some sweaters, but this was a little bit too much. So I pulled out my number sevens and I, I kept my number sixes to do some ribbing and I worked out a ribbing that I felt would flow into the stitch pattern and I tried it. I did my ribbing on my sixes, and I changed to sevens, I did the pattern. And what also this does is it gives you a chance to become really familiar with the way your stitch pattern works without worrying about shaping or anything else for a while. So you can really get to know it and you can see where you should decrease, where you should increase, how you can make the pattern really flow throughout the sweater. And also if that pattern actually works with the yarn that you've chosen. So it's fantastic. Also, the, the swatches I just recently uh, used, I, it was my first project with steaking. So I did a crochet stabilization of the steak and I cut it. I cut it on the swatch first and that gave me a wonderful uh, chance to try steaking uh, without too much of a risk because, you know, who cares if you destroy your gauge swatch? Um, I've also talked before about using your gauge swatch as a last resort to finish your project when you've run out of yarn. I've done that before. And also, it's a great test of whether a yarn will or will not felt. I originally wanted to make my felted mittens out of this yarn, Bartlett yarn, um, and I told you this before, and I put the swatch through the wash and it didn't shrink even a centimeter. It stayed exactly the same size. The, the um, yarn did kind of puff up, and I've since um, actually messaged someone on Ravelry who had used Bartlett to make a kitty pie, and 
she said that she had to put it through a couple of times through the wash and, and dry to get it to felt and that she uses actual soap flakes. Like when you have that last little bit of soap in your bath, she just saves those and uses those kind of breaks them up for felting, which is a great idea because it has a little bit more, um, I think it has a little more, uh, alkaline in it than the kind of soap that you buy to wash clothes with would be. At least it makes sense to me that it would be better for felting. And that's what it, that's how, so don't think that Bartlett's never going to felt just because I said it that one time, (laughs) maybe that first wash is to get the lanolin and, or the spinning oil out. And then the second wash will actually felt it. I didn't try that because I was so disheartened, (laughs) um, in the first place. But anyway, I still had, I actually did three swatches for that sweater that I steaked. Um, it was right when I first moved here. It was July of 2005. And I was concerned because it was going to be a very large sweater. I think it was a 40 inch or maybe even a 50 inch chest. I I don't remember now. It wasn't for me. And it was a two color sweater. I'd never really done one of those before. And it was going to be a big project. And I knew that the person I was knitting it for wouldn't wear it if it didn't fit just right because he was kind of a jerk that way. And... (laughs) So I did swatches. First I did a swatch on smaller needles and then I did larger. And then I did a third swatch because I wasn't happy. You know, I don't remember what the third swatch was about. It may have been a different ribbing style on the cuff to see what it would do. But anyway, I did all those swatches and I made the swatch. And then I tucked the swatches and the one tiny, teeny ball of the lighter color away in my worsted um, box. And now, let's see, I did that sweater in about a month, so it was August of 05, and here we are in January, or actually February of 08, and here I am looking for mitten uh, fodder, or fodder for my mittens, and I pull out this yarn, and I think, well, this will be great. And I actually held the swatches over my hands and kind of guesstimated the area of knitting that I had um, versus what I would need for the mitten. And I ended up using it all. (laughs) Even the steaked swatch is the one that I tried to felt. And I ran out of the dark color literally right at the tip of the second thumb for the second mitten. And I'd actually made the mittens intentionally completely to the top of each one before I made the thumbs because I, I thought, well, if I run out, I can always make the thumbs in a different yarn, no big deal, right? And then it will look more on purpose. Although, of course, I would always know that it's because I ran out. <laughs> but so I literally had to take this the swatch that I had tried to felt and cut below the steak because I hadn't steaked all the way through the ribbing and pull out the last, what, 10 yards I needed of the darker color. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> and I, I photographed my little pile of leftovers at the end and I put it up on Ravelry. Oh, no, okay, sorry, one of my cats has invaded. <laughs> Hi, Boo, come sit on my lap. Come on. Okay. This room, which is my kind of home office, which used to be a guest bedroom, is also where, is the only room that we really, I really keep the cats out of. Don't, don't touch the microphone, sweetie. And um, I generally keep them out of here because I don't like them running on the computers when I'm not here. But also, he's purring. <laughs> also, um, 
this is where I dry my knitted goods after I wash them. And right now I have a set of stockings and a short sweater and a big sweater and uh, one more thing. Oh, the swatch from the golden sweater all drying. And unfortunately, both of my kitties, if they find knitted stuff on the floor, especially if it's chew on it for some reason. I don't understand it. I think maybe they're trying to get the water out of it. I don't know. They're very strange. Or lay on it and get cat hair on my nice clean clothes. And I don't mind cat hair generally, but I don't like it when I've just cleaned something to have a cat sleep on it. So anyway, another little digression brought to you by Boomer, my golden kitty. Yes, he is. I don't know if you can hear him, but he is purring because I'm holding him. And he's a sweetheart, even if he'd yarn. Yes. Oh, one of the things he did, which means that probably it's his fault I almost ran out of yarn on those mittens, because he especially loves really woolly, sheepy yarn, and Bartlett is very sheepy. And whenever I would stupidly leave my project laying around, even in the basket, but poking up out of the top of my knitting basket, he would chew off the yarn. He would chew it off. And... I don't think he actually ate any because he seems like he's healthy and it's not very good for cats to actually eat it. Uh, I would have to either pull back a few stitches to get enough to leave myself some uh, something to, to darn in to keep the end from coming loose or just you know pick up and start knitting again. And it was just so I lost a good <laughs> probably foot or two of yarn to that. So I'm not I wasn't too happy with you, was I? No, but I spoil him, so it's really my fault. He's bad-mannered. He's a good boy. He tries. He's not very bright. My other kitty is extremely smart. He's actually my, um, my Ravel... Oh, what are they calling them? Uh, Ravitar on Ravelry is my other kitty, Travis. So if you look at me on Ravelry, that's, that's Travis. And I'm, und I'm on Ravelry under Math for Knitters. So message me. I have gotten a few really nice messages lately, and I'm, I'm very pleased. And I forgot to write down who it was, so sorry. <laughs> but thank you anyway. <laughs> okay, um, so the point of of the whole using up gauge swatches to store yarn as well as to uh, prepare for your project well is that it, there's something really nice about it because it takes up less room than a... Um, than a ball of yarn. And for me, it's easier to remember what the yarn actually is. I can't tell you how many times I've pulled a ball of black worsted out of machinot not knowing what the heck it was made of. I know it was probably some sort of wool blend, but I can't tell you if it's 100% wool or wool acrylic or even acrylic or what. I have no idea. Whereas if it's in a swatch, especially if it's a swatch with a pattern in it, I can look it up in my notes and tell you, oh, that's the Bartlett from three years ago <laughs> that I, that I know Boomer. Don't, don't get up on the computer. Thank you. Okay. Um, and it also makes me feel very thrifty. There's a quote that's sometimes credited to Eleanor Roosevelt. I don't know if anyone actually said it or if it was just a U.S. office war slogan, but it goes, um, use it up wear it out, make it do, do without. And sometimes when I'm trying to keep the household budget down so that I can do other things like travel and redo the bathroom, that's kind of my motto. 
and sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't, but I, I really like it, and it sounds, it's, a, it's thrifty in a way that isn't too mean, you know, it's all reasonable, or like I could buy X, Y, or Z, or I could try to figure out if I have something else that I can use that works just as well. So that's just a little mini <laughs> philosophy for today. Okay, uh, that's about all I have to say today. Um, I will tell you more about my golden sweater as I get going on it. I re I'm really excited about it. This time of year, for some reason, I always lend myself... Hold on a second. Oh my gosh, kitty insurrection. I have to kick them out. Hold on. Okay, kitty number two is sneaking in here to sit on my yarn, <laughs> or my, my stockings, which I have let him do before, but I'm, I'm tired of that, so I just threw them out. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to wrap up with a promo for a podcast that I love. I think it's called Z Knits. It's bad that I say I love it, and I don't know what it's called, so let me have a look here. Podcasts. I know her... Um, CZ Knits is her thing. Let me see. Yeah, Knit Obsession with Z Knits. And she just started up here. Let's the date on her intro here is the 11th. And she already has seven episodes. So good for her. The 11th of February. I don't know if that's actually correct because iTunes sometimes gets dates wrong. But good for her. You know, <laughs> go for it. And I hope, I really hope she sticks around because she has a really nice voice and I love and I know that she said that she doesn't want to talk too much about New York because she lives in Brooklyn but I love hearing about New York I love it because I actually lived in Long Island for a summer and I spent a lot of time in Brooklyn and a little time in Manhattan and I just I miss it I do I, I don't want to live there again I'm too spoiled on being able to do the things that I can do in the Midwest but man I do miss New York I'm I really do I miss hard dough bread in Brooklyn. I miss oxtail soup, which is something I never thought I'd say. I miss fantastic Cuban food. I miss walking around the village. I miss everything about New York. So I really hope that she kind of decides not to, not to so much um, focus on just, just knitting, but tells us a little bit more about knitting in New York, what it's like to, to knit, if she knits in a subway, what that's like. Cause, um, when I in New York, I, I didn't, I, it was actually the summer just before I took up knitting again. So I, I wasn't doing it. And so I just, I would love to hear more regional podcasts that focus more on where the person lives. That's, that's one of the things I love about Lyme and Violet, even though they complain about the Midwest, I love knowing that they, um, have the same big blue skies and uh, low traffic <laughs> and um, weird rural issues um, as as I sometimes do. But I also would love to hear more about, for instance, if someone's in California, I'd like to hear about California knitting or knitting in Alaska. That's, that's one of the things I love about Brenda Dane is I get to hear about whales and um, the 
Aust- Australian uh, male knitter whose name I David David Reedy. Yeah, David Reedy. I love hearing about his stuff. So one of the things I love about podcasting and knitting is that it is regional. I, I think I think the cats are about to come in again, so I should wrap up. Okay. Well, I hope you have a nice uh, week. I'm. I'm like I said, I'm not going to try to stick to a schedule because that always is my Achilles heel. Um, and we're coming up to a very, very busy time for me. So it'll probably be another two weeks. Um, hopefully not more than that, but I don't know. Hey, everybody. This is Z Knits, inviting you to check out my new knitting podcast, Knit Obsession. Join me for episodes about the knitting craze. From knitting techniques and luscious yarns to my attempts to knit the perfect sweater. Stop by my blog, czknit, S-E-E-Z-K-N-I-T dot blogspot dot com. Hope you join me soon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Math for Knitters. This is episode 24, and I actually have uh, better notes this time, so hopefully I'll remember <laughs> what I wanted to talk about um, this week. I'm going to officially end the Fibonacci sequence because I just can't think of anything to do with number 34. If you um, know of a Fibonacci number that can be used effectively in knitting, please let me know and why, and I will uh, do a show about any random number you like, or any other number for that matter. So I'm going to talk about a couple of podcasts that I've recently discovered, although I think you may have already found them as well, but they're all very fun. Also, I'm going to give you a recipe for spiral rib knee socks, and I'm going to talk about a book that I bought with uh, the fundage from my wonderful listeners. So let's get started. Okay, I'm going to start with the three um, new to me, podcasts that I discovered actually just about the time my computer went down. One is called Unwound, and I've only really heard the first or second show, but she's very relaxing and fun to listen to, and I think that you'll enjoy it. Then there is Beneath the Fiber Moon, which I also enjoy a lot, but I do not recommend it for listening to at work, simply because I blush easily, and so if people see me driving around blushing, um, they might get the wrong idea, and this show is a little spicy. (laughs) It's a little more in the spicy end. Um, She spends a lot of time moaning and uh, over yarn, which is fine, but also talking about the connections between storage of various other things and storing bondage ropes and things like that. Just a little more on the kinky side of uh, the knitting podcasts, which I think is great, but I prefer to listen to it at home (laughs) when only my cats can see me blushing. Also, there's a fantastic new uh, podcast from Australia called Sticks and String, and that is a fantastic uh, Aussie bloke who um, I believe is a college professor, and he's also very nice, and he has, uh, I think, two cats who are seem very cool. So hopefully uh, check that out, and I'll have links in the show notes to those three uh, three shows. So... The book for this week is called Stalmans, Shawls, and Scarves, 
and it's a, a book actually that my local yarn shop just recently got and I will try to I'm going to actually link to I think the author has a website and it's a I can't tell if it's quite a self-published book but it says Rocking Chair Press Boise Idaho on it and it's really nice it's um <clears throat> and she has I think let me look real quick and make sure I'm telling you right I think the author might actually have her email address right here in the book but I can't find it right now let me look again I said I was better prepared but I am but still not quite as well as I'd like but you know I'll just tell you her address and um I will link to something in the show notes. I'm not sure what, but I emailed her to ask if it was okay for me to talk about her on the show. And she was very friendly and helpful. And I got a little kick out of her. So basically what she says to me is that she's honored to be on the show. And also her book is available from many, many local yarn shops and from a number of fiber related businesses that do mail order and directly from her. Um, if you Google her, you'll find many sources. She says one of them is the Yarn Barn of Kansas Schoolhouse Press from Wisconsin. That's Meg Swanson's uh, place of business. The Mannings, Pennsylvania. Pattern Works, Unicorn Books and Crafts, and many, many yarn shops. There are several businesses in Canada that handle it, um, but she, can't th she couldn't think of the names when she emailed me. She's in Minnesota rather than in her studio in Boise. Um, which is why, where she answered me from. And the book has also been available in New Zealand and Australia, where she has taught knitting classes, and she's, but she's not sure where you can stock it. And also at least two businesses in England have purchased uh, from her. Also, Amazon has carried it, but she warns that the price at which Amazon currently lists it is terribly, terribly inflated. And she hopes that people do not have to resort to Amazon. The recommended retail price is $30. When purchased directly from her, she charges $36 to cover priority mail shipping, and she does autograph. And it also, she also says she's just an email away. Oh, her email address is on the copyright page of the book, which I managed to skip. Let's see. Yeah, sure enough, there it is. It's stamen at AOL.com, and stamen, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is S-T-A-H-M-A-N. And it has a phone number here too. And she says that and she encourages anybody who has questions to email her directly. And I just I just thought that was really cool that she was so open and, and like, yeah, just, you know, let me know if you want the book and I'll sign it for you. And if you have any problems, just email me. And basically, it's very lovely lace um, pharaohs-shaped shawls from the neck down. And also a kind of scarf. It's called a seaman scarf. Which is sort of... Basically, it's patterned down... How do I describe this? It's patterned... Okay. <laughs> the part that goes on the back of your neck is ribbing. So that it kind of hugs your neck. And then you knit down from either side of, of this scarf. In a lace pattern, usually. And what that does is it makes your lace lie the same way so that if you have a lace pattern that is directional and most of them are, it will look the same on either either side of your neck. 
So that's kind of nice. And also it's a great way, like if you have just one little skein of a very special fiber that maybe was very expensive and so you only bought one skein, you could actually knit this kind of scarf from the front and the back of the ball and make yourself use up your yarn completely to the end and still have something that looked like you planned it that way. So that's kind of nice. And the other, the advantage for me from for the neck down shawl is that you can essentially do the same thing. You start from the top and it always looks like a shawl and when you run out of yarn you just stop. And she has really wonderful, um, actually my sister will like this. My sister is a spinner and it drives her nuts that knitters are so imprecise about their descriptions of yarns. So instead of saying fingering weight, lace weight, blah, 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 she actually gives you the wraps per inch of the yarns. And she even, I think she's got a little diagram about what, about what wraps per inch means. And overall, it's a very well illustrated, thought out book with lots of really nice patterns. And if you've never knit a lace shawl before, I think it would be a great starting point. I have knit lace shawls before, but I've never really understood exactly how they worked. And this really explains exactly what you're up to. And what also is nice is sometimes she shows the same shawl in two or three different yarns. So you can see, well, this is what it looks like in more of a sock yarn. This is what it looks like in a real light mohair yarn. This is what it looks like in, you know, different kinds of yarn. My only... I don't want to call it a complaint, but my only uh, critique of the book is that it is all in black and white, and I understand it's probably for financial reasons, and it's still completely worth it. It's worth every penny of those $30 or $36, because it is just chock full of information. And even if you don't particularly want a, uh, a shawl in the exact pattern that she does it, you could still use the lace patterns for other things, like as an insert or as a border, tons of border patterns. And also, um, of course, you could make just plain old scarves out of uh, the lace patterns. Also in the back, and I like this, in the back she actually has um, things you can copy, photocopy. That would be your scarf record, your uh, shawl record, how to... A little thing you can copy and give to somebody about how to care for the shawl. So if you if you give someone a gift shawl, you can also include this care tag. Um, there's also a watch a watch cap, and a cotton diamond dishcloth or face cloth. Face cloth. Man, I'm really not talking well today. Um, and just a little description of all the different yarns that she uses, and I think she even has where to get the yarns. Let me see. Uh, yes, and she does. And some of these, uh, a lot of the listings for the places where you, where she got yarns have an email address. So if you said, well, I really want to, to see what this uh, yarn is like, then you could actually just email, like Louette, for instance, is in here with the Yorflex linen yarn. And it just has the email address, which is great. And also says where, uh, you know, which, which shawl in the in the book was was actually done in that yarn so it's just really informative and interesting and has a lot to learn for anybody who is thinking of making the leap into lace and she's also one of those fantastic authors who really explains not just what she does but why 
she does it. And that means a lot to me because I, when I was in school, I actually didn't learn geometry very well because my teacher was not good at doing that. She could explain what to do, but she could not explain why you did it that way. And so actually I had a friend teach me more geometry in a week than I learned all year from that one teacher. And I'm not saying she wasn't a good teacher. I'm sure for some people she was great, but I'm one of those people who I just have to know why. Why, 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 why? <laughs> I'm sure I drove everyone crazy when I was a kid, and even now, sometimes I can be a little, a little irritating, I guess. I try not to be, but I can be, I'm sure. Okay, um, little pattern. I actually knit these socks for myself when I was in grad school, so that was three years ago now. And my boss at the time gave me some beautiful worsted weight hand-dyed merino wool, and I took it and I wound it up and I made some Elizabeth Zimmerman sideways mittens, and then I still had all this yarn left. And so I thought, well, I guess I'll make some, some socks. And I just... I'm pretty sure I cast on at the toe, yeah, and probably like four stitches and then increased, um, probably, and I'm trying to remember what I did, and I wasn't, at the time I didn't keep a notebook, <laughs> so I couldn't tell you exactly what I did, but basically I increased around, uh, to make the toe and, and just made a real straight round toe and then picked up all the stitches around, you know, had my stitches on the toe and then started a spiral rib pattern. And I had heard of spiral rib socks somewhere along the way. I don't remember where now. But the idea is that you're making a tube sock and uh, in a spiral rib pattern, which means in, in this case, I did a four by four. So I did four rounds of four by four ribbing. And then I did, then I shifted everything one stitch to the left. So let's say my first needle in my first round was K4, P4. When I did the shift, it became P1, K4, P4, around. And then after four rows of that, same thing. Uh, P2, K4, yada, 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 around. And so what it does is when you first start to do it, it just looks weird. Like you don't quite, it's hard to see at first, but after a while, it does form up into kind of a cool snail-looking spiral. And what this does is when you pull on the sock, depending on how straight you pull the spiral, the sock will actually be narrower or wider. And this was apparently a really popular pattern I heard somewhere, I don't remember where, during World War II, because, because it doesn't have a heel, and every time you put it on, you put it on in a different direction, it takes the sock a long time to wear out. And these are very soft socks, and they were in worsted weight. I, I did, I think, probably a number five needles. And I don't really wear them out and about that much, but um, I tend to wear them around the house when I'm feeling chilly. But even so, you know, they're three years old, and they have very little wear on them. So I think that they're really neat. And what I basically did was I just kept it up for as long as I could stand it. And then I threw on about five or six inches of just plain two by two ribbing to hold the top up. And uh, when I wear them, I kind of flip that ribbing down, sort of like if you've ever seen kilt hose, there's a kind of patterned part on the very top of the sock. 
that's a little makes it a little fatter than the rest of the sock. And that's that's how I wear them, and I'm really happy with them. So, um, if you try it, let me know, and maybe someday I'll get a picture. I'm thinking about them right now because I wore them last week and I just washed them today. And what I think is really fun <laughs> about these socks also is washing them and blocking them is really fun. When I I pull them out of the water, out of the rinse water, and I put them in the washing machine and spin them out, and then I'm carrying them over to the towel where I'm going to dry them, and I just hold the the top of the sock with one hand and pull on the toe with the other and just stretch them out, (laughs) you know, lengthwise, and they just fall into this lovely, back into their little spiral pattern, so... That's our our recipe this week for a little simple thing. Um, I guess if you were being really scientific about it, you could measure the width of your foot at its widest part and do a gauge swatch and then make a toe however you like in order to fit your foot and then start going from there. And I didn't do any intermediate increases for the calf or anything because I thought, well, it's it's ribbing, it will be stretchy. And I was right. But if you, and I have very, very large calves to the point where it's hard for me to find like tall boots that will actually fit (laughs) on my legs. But that doesn't mean that will necessarily work for you if you're concerned about the stretchiness. I guess I would suggest that you could do a gauge swatch in the round, in the spiral rib, and just try it on, you know, pull it, see if it will pull as high up your leg as you want the uh, socks to go. And if they do, then go for it. And uh, in fact, you could even graft that swatch to the knitting when you got to that point, but that might be a little too ambitious. But anyway, so yeah, that's the show. Um, I guess these shows keep coming up shorter and shorter. And I guess until I make myself sit down and do another like re-gauge of a sweater, which I am planning on doing eventually. They're just going to be a little short and I hope you all don't mind. And I'm very glad that you're all here and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoy doing the show and I'm happy to see those of you who get something out of it, emailing me or leaving me a comment or just getting something out of it even though I can't see that. (laughs) So um, I will have links to everything I talked about on the show, except for the spiral uh, rib knee socks, because I don't have any notes about them, so I can't tell you anything for sure about them, except for try it, you know. Um, The worst thing that could happen is you lose a a little bit of your time, and the best thing that could happen is you could have some really nice socks that keep you warm on a cold day. All right. Have a nice week, everyone. Happy knitting.